You're listening to the 90-10 rule. 90% business, 10% music. Gentlemen, that was the Lonely Stoner by Keyboy, right here on the 9010 Rule. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the 9010 Rule. I am Kevin Davis, and as always, I got my brother Brian Jennings with me. What up, B? What's going on, Kev? What's going on, listeners? Yes, and uh, today in the studio, we have uh, Vince Bryant, man. And Vince, why don't you... You, you there, man? Let me let me get you up on the mic, I man. Let's, let's just dive I'm in. I'm here. I'm live. I'm in the flesh. So way more, more flesh than you probably need to know is here. <laughs> this age. Well, you know, we because we've had a, a a spirited conversation already, so I ain't want to lose the momentum. <laughs> I mean, we were already kind of into it, man. Or, or matter of fact, let me. Um, well, I guess just let's, let's give the listeners a little bit of background okay. as to uh, what you've done, and then we can dive more into you know some of the other stuff. Okay, Vincent Levy Bryant. Better known, professionally known as V-L-E-E-V, V-L-E-V. You can Google it. You can Facebook it. 26 V-L-E-E-V, 26 at Instagram. I'm a composer. I'm a piano player. I'm a second-generation piano player. My dad played the piano, and he was an electronics repairman, TV repairman, TV and radio. Um, I played. I grew up playing music with my brothers. I've um, been playing the piano since I was a t- pretty much a toddler, and... Um, I, um, uh, real quick, uh, just music has been my life. I'm going to be 57 soon. And, um, I, um, ventured off into film and, uh, started in production. Um, I've always been in the creative process, recording and producing and writing and arranging and being a band leader and playing behind different people, Curtis Mayfield and, uh, two years in, Chaka Khan and Isaac Hayes and, you know, people like that and um, Angie Bowie. And, and um, I don't know, for me, the music is second nature. It's something I've always done. It's always been a part of me. And recording has been something I've always had, you know, 
strong, strong interest and busy, you know, career in. But the film thing has been for the past since 2010. It's been a daily uphill struggle, struggle in, um, you know, uh, what do you want to challenge? That's it. That's the word. Why am I at a loss for words? Because this is painful stuff I went through. But, you know, it's okay. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to sit here and be moan and cry and whine. But um, the film industry in and of itself is at a turning point now because um, not just as an industry, but as the people who are involved because it's about image. It's about respect and people are waking up and people are enlightening themselves as to how they would like to see themselves and see the stories about themselves. And um, Russell Simmons said something very, very um, profane. Um, and But it's, it's so naturally real. You know, it's so, it's common sense. It says, no one black in Hollywood is running anything. Duh, who knew? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, what do you think? We didn't invent it. We didn't create it. We didn't design it. It's not right. ours. It's not ours. You know what I mean? Well, uh, you know what? How do you feel about that? How do you? I mean, that's the you said that at the end there. We didn't. We didn't design it. We didn't create it. So how do you feel about that? I have literally in my in my way of looking at it, I don't have any feelings about it. I mean, why and how should I? Right. You know, um, when we went to day camp or you went to school or whatever. You know, there were the kids who played with blocks, then the kids who played with the trucks, and the kids who played with dolls, and the kids who played with sand, and the kids who played with each other, okay? Depending on, you know, your thing is what your thing is. Well, the kids who started the whole sand game, you're not down with them. The kids who played with the dolls, you wasn't down with them. Right. You know, I'm one of the kids who saw the piano, the little toy piano in the corner, and the little drum, and I went over there, and I was by myself, and it was okay. And then every now and then a kid would gravitate over and I'd say, you want to play the drum? Here, you play the drum, I'll play the piano. And, right. Because that's how I grew up. So, you know, that's like a club thing. You know, I have nothing disparaging or negative to say except for the fact of if they're the ones in control, they have the right to do what they want to do with their system. Now, as self-respect goes, when you're coming in to tell your story, if you want to tell your story in their system and they're telling you no then you need to make your own system. Right. Mm -hmm. That's it. End of story. I know that was a long way to tell it. But no, that's it. That, that's exactly where I think it's going because the, all the creatives now have gadgets. Everybody, like mm -hmm. even on your iPhone, you can make beats, you can record, and you can re multi-track record. Absolutely. Like when I first started out, mm -hmm. there was four-track recorders and, and yep. cassette tapes. Like we was trying to do it like that. Now yep. you can really multi-track record on your cell phone through an app. Yep. Or you can buy a little mic piece and add on. Like So because this technology is in people's hands now for a lot less than what it, it used to cost, it's so much easier to create something and that adds to your catalog. And so I feel like the future of music and entertainment and film, all of it is really coming down to content management. Absolutely. Self-content management. Right. Okay. And um, 1997, I was running a studio, Al Hornstein, my buddy, he's in Romania right now. And he's my CFO in, um, in um, the company that we have for the broadband um, app thing that we talked about. <sighs> 
We were. Re- I read a Wired magazine. I think it was a March issue in '97, and um, uh, not Spielberg. George Lucas made a statement. Said two kids in the garage on a computer on a desktop are going to make a movie comparable to Star Wars or better soon. Because of the power of computers. And that was ninety seven. This was nineteen ninety seven, and we had a um, we had a Macintosh nine fifty a Quadra, mm-hmm. which is before they started making the G series of Macs, and that thing was squeaking and squealing and grinding for us to just use on basic Pro Tools that came out it was TDM then, and um, anyway, make a long story short, the power of computers. I mean, my little Avant uh, Galaxy phone. Does more than yeah. that. Three runs wrap circles around that Quadra and mm-hmm. even some of the first G series Max. Yeah. Um, so the point is, yeah, the, the quality of technology is so at their fingertips. Now, I don't think these kids are as pushed to try to be mainstream, you know, to try to sign a record deal or be a big movie star. They can do it themselves already and they share it amongst their friends and YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Tumblr and Pinterest and all these other, you know, and thanks to my daughters, man, I've learned about all this stuff since 2007, okay? So we go from 97 to just 2007. We're talking 10 years. What a difference. Yeah. 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 10 years, man. We're talking about in 2007, uh, let's see, 2007, I think the girls were, well, my oldest daughter, I think, 2007, 80, 20, yeah, 20 years old. So from 97 at 10 to, to, you know, from 10 years old to 20 years old, the power of being able to do all of this in their hands, and they're showing me, you know, Daddy, you don't need to print cards anymore. You don't got to kill trees, you know, and this is everybody knows who you are on the Internet. Just type in V-L-E-E-V, boom, put it in the search engine, and they know who you are. Take your phone and send it to them by text and blah, 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 I went and didn't even look back. I said, this is really where I was envisioning and where I was imagining this to go. And um, Pro Tools, I watched it when it was um, Sound Tools when it first came out. Two-track? Yeah, it was two-track. And it was a way of you take the analog stuff and dump it in mastering. You make your two-track master on analog, and then you dump that in, and then you could do digital refining and copying and pasting and all that editing. And now it's... Man, through the roof, I love it. So where do we go next? I mean, direct implant into the cerebral cortex and just, you know, you know, matrix. Right. We're all locked into the matrix. Plug like, in. Yeah, that's eventually, I see it. No, that's scary, but I'm not there. But my grandkids, if they ever come, my great-grandkids. But you know what? It feels like it, feels like it now because there's so much information that's on YouTube. Like, no matter what, whether it's music business or film or entertainment or or how to build a birdhouse or, or whatever it is that you oh, want to yeah. learn. You can, it, like, watching YouTube videos is like <laughs> downloading that That's information. Right. From it sure is, especially for these kids. It is. Yeah, because you instantly, you know how to do it now. They watch it, they play with it, they watch it again, and maybe one more time they watch it, and then after that, they know it. Okay? Yeah. I've had my daughters just, just give me the phone, Daddy, and just do, and then hand it back to see. <laughs> so then it goes. It goes. The question then: What is the point of labels? Why are labels still even around? That's a good question. How Why, how how in the world are we still allowing labels to control the way that we distribute media to the 
customers or to the listeners or to the fans or whatever you want to call them? Well, I think some of what that is is media is well, excuse me, labels are what we're used to. That's what we're that's the system that we're accustomed to. It's what, it's what to. my dad did. Yeah. yeah. And it's what we and it are for him. kinda doing. And our kids are not doing. Right. No, seriously. Right. They're not. They're they don't listen to the radio. They have their own special dial up on whatever they're listening to. Even if they are listening to a Spotify or a Pandora, they are controlling what they're listening to in the cloud. They're controlling what they're listening to and watching um, in the cloud. And they're moving into their social network and the favorite parts they share and that whole stuff. So they they have been losing grip. There was a major meeting about this in Tel Aviv, Israel, in the late 90s before they made their decisions with Napster and all that stuff that was going on. I don't know if you remember Napster. Absolutely. That's yeah. where everything changed. It changed <laughs> right there. That's right. I'm yeah, sorry. That was, that was a hard moving stop. moving out of the microphone range. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that was like, yeah, that was a hard, uh-oh, what are we going to do? So um, I think they've been reeling, but they have such stockpiles right. of cash and, and um, money piled up. That I don't think they're that scared. They just have to figure out where and how they're going to go with this, you know, next. But I don't think the regular public is going to let them, you know, these kids coming up now and the next kids, they could care less. I just saw a contract, a record contract um, last week mm-hmm. for six albums. And I'm thinking to myself, who in the hell still asks or expects someone to give them six albums? Wow. What label... What label? Uh, was that a major? No. Oh, that's an independent. Yes. Who's going to go to a major and get a distribution deal? Right. Okay. Still. I know. I, who Who in the world is still expecting to get six albums out of an artist? And what artist is that signing? What artist is that? And they got to be here in Atlanta because nobody in LA is doing that. Right. Nobody in LA is doing that. Nobody in New York is doing that anymore. I'm telling you, they're looking far and wide, and they're going to places like Atlanta to get it. Yeah. So um, anyway, I'm going to be 57 years old soon. And aside from playing with some everybody and consulting and, you know, I um, my focus is on film and the film industry isn't that much better at all. It's even more treacherous waters to go through. <laughs> Luckily, I signed with a very, very good management situation with uh, Tracy Morris and 10,000 hours management. And uh, ten thousand hours. Is that like the Malcolm Gladwell. I don't know where that comes from, but I love it when I hear ten thousand hours. It's ten thousand hours for you. Um, is the uh, email, and when I hear that, it's like, wow, you're gonna dedicate ten thousand hours. I think the idea is that and this is from the Malcolm Gladwell book, The Outliers. The idea is that if any, if you do something for ten thousand hours, you become an expert at it. Wow. And so the idea then is to place ten thousand hours worth of work into something, and then you become mm-hmm. a master of it. I like that. Yeah. Because I definitely did 10,000 hours in <laughs> you, a few things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a master. You just better know it, girly. <laughs> right. No, um, no, she's awesome. And um, the, the vision, we share a similar vision. You know, um, for me, film and music go together. I think the new music deal is the film deal because it encompasses all of it. Everything you can think of, you know, product placement, fashion, cars, food, pizza, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and then the music in and of itself, the underscore and then the soundtrack. I'm more involved in soundtrack, but I'm a songwriter. Um, 
my performance rights organization is CSAC. Um, matter of fact, I ran into Greg, Greg Smith last night. And um, fortunately, the night before, it was awesome. Um, and the thing about being in a PRO is, you know, someone to watch your back as far as the broadcasting rights and as far as the performance rights. It's important because that gives you a status that you have an organization that is actually tracking and helping you. The workshops of CSAC have been awesome. Um, Cap, we talked about Cap, Capriccio, right. um, signed me uh, and my daughters uh, in 2008, 2009, something like that. And, um, you know, like I said, the workshops have been awesome. My daughters have learned a lot. Yeah, what I love about CSEC also is because it's, since it's, it's not small by any means. But because, no, it's not. But because it's smaller, you're right. They, it's kind of like a boutique. It's like boutique, right? Yeah. It is. They, you can, they have time to worry hands about. Hands on, yeah, right? Yeah, right, they have right. time to worry about things. And I believe CSAC was actually one, the first PRO to do the um, the digital trade, the digital watermarking using the, oh, yeah. the sound exchange, the electronic stamp. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, CSAC is is by means not the small. It's not a small company. No. It's so not. listeners, if you do are looking for a PRO, I do suggest CSAC. I, I'm a CSAC writer. Kev is a CSAC writer. I have a publishing company at CSAC. Okay, stick likewise. Well. Vince is yeah. the same. So, I mean, I yeah. think all three of us are above the board would say CSAC is the way But you can only get into CSAC by invite. So exactly. So you got to work with somebody and um, work your way in and get that proper invite, and I'm sure you'll be treated right like we are. Um, but going from that, knowing that my particular bend was on focusing on being a composer for film— which is important. You know, Atlanta gets a ton of movies and we're slated to get 92 films between now and wow. this time next year. Wow. 92. And they're building a newer film studio. We're getting more and more film studios. And we're talking about major films. Major like, films. Right, yeah, right, we're talking wow. about the Avengers and the anything you've watched. Deadpool was shot in Canada and whatnot, but they, they looked at here. They looked at Louisiana. They looked at, you know, other places. But the point is, films of that stature and films that are going to be released worldwide by Paramount, Universal, and so on and so forth, Warner Brothers, um, are being done here. And um, it's not going to stop. I mean, um, from what I understand, um, a 10-year deal has been struck with Universal and Marvel to not leave the Atlanta area. So Wow. That's huge. There are some That's people huge. that we're aligned with um, that are looking to build a Warner Brothers type of, a Newman type of soundstage, um, scoring stage to score film where you can fit... A 65-piece orchestra in, and you can take a 65-piece orchestra and record, you know, lay back to picture. And that's that's important. We don't have yeah. that. And when we have that, that'll kind of bring us up, you know, in the in the uh running. And in the case, in the case of people have been speculating when the film leaves or when the film companies leave, when the Hollywood business leaves, so to speak, mm-hmm. we'll have these facilities and independent filmmakers should be able to have a leg up to be able to have the best of the best of the state of the art of the technology to be able to uh, give some world-class product, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, I like to say I'm, like, in the middle of helping make that happen and being a part of it. Absolutely. I, I'm very, very excited, you know? I write from the piano, and I write a lot of themic-type scores, you know? And um, for me, it means a lot to be able to have my hands on real orchestral world-class players. I love the Atlanta Symphony, and I love what the possibilities of what they can do. Um, I believe it can be done a little less expensively. You know, 
you can get, okay, to give you an example, the Czechoslovakian Symphonic Orchestra and the Romanian Symphony and the Bulgarian Symphony work for peanuts compared to what the American symphonies do for film. The London Symphony is a little more expensive, but there's still a fraction in comparison. To get a film, to have the level of score that, okay, let's pick a great film like, um, okay, the Matrix series. I mean, heavyweight, you know, whatnot. Um, Training Day, heavyweight orchestral scoring. Um, Equalizer with Denzel Washington, heavyweight orchestral scoring. A day is going to be $75,000, You've got to play the payers, and it's American Federation of Musicians and whatnot. I can get that for $8,000 in Romania a day. Wow. That's a fraction. So what has to happen is... <laughs> that's a fraction. In, in, that's an understatement. Really? That's an yeah. understatement. I know. I'm really being nice. Um, what In my mind, that's what a clearance. I see... Yeah, exactly. Yo. No, that's called the hookup. <laughs> that's the hookup. Right. I got the hookup on the scoring, man. You got to get with me and my man. peoples in Romania, man. They down. We don't even got to go there. We go Skype, man. It's going to be on. And when they make a mistake, man, you won't even know it because they that good. <laughs> But uh, it's like that. And the stuff I hear, man, they're amazing. And when they hear, when I tell them I'm a jazz piano player or blues piano, they lose their minds. These guys who have been playing Chopin and Mozart and Tchaikovsky since they were children, before they were in their mama's womb. You know, they. this is like eight generations. I got this violin. I got this violin from my great, 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 great grandfather. He played this Stratovarius. You know, these, that's how they talk. And it's like, the, it's in their souls. So when you compare that to the players here who are like, you know, oh, I went to Juilliard or the Manhattan School of Music or Berkeley, and, you know, I heard that my great-grandfather played, and, you know, you know, it's a way different world. Wow. Way different world of understanding. These guys rehearse for three hours and record for eight straight. Um, we need to, in my opinion, have a little more hands-on in school. They need to have more exposure. And above all, before we can actually have a successful community here doing symphonic uh, scoring, they're going to have to seriously have a collective bargaining agreement with the union, with the American Federation of Musicians, just in Atlanta. And if I think, if I was a person on the level of, say, um, a Quincy Jones or a Robert Shaw or somebody like that, mm -hmm. I would go there and say, I'm going to do five projects in the next two years, you know, Five projects in the next two years. I want to make a collective bargaining agreement to pay so much an hour for 55 to 65 pieces, you know, to score this, this, that, and the other, these five films, and make a an agreement to share the revenue of, you know, the the, the um, royalty revenue as well. And I think that's already in the union. But I think it's somewhere between 4 and 10%, and I think it should be a little better. Um, for me, I mean, but this is my mindset. I don't want to set a standard for anybody else. I'd come in and I'd go, I'll give you guys 20% of all the royalties collectively over the course and the life of the record or the songs, and I'll pay you a basic, you know, stipend uh, per hour, and you're guaranteed eight hours, and you got two breaks, two 15-minute breaks, and a one-hour lunch. And, you know, obviously what that translates to is they're going to be there for 12 hours. You see what I'm saying? Because you're yeah. going to rehearse and rehearse maybe two hours and 
record for about six to seven hours and you break and lunch and then, you know. Anyway, so that's a day. Hey, but you know what? Actually, let me uh, let me kind of take it a different direction because sure. I'm, I'm thinking about with with those types of resources becoming available, especially what you said where some of the, uh, like when the, when the major movies leave in the in-between time, some of the mm-hmm. independents are able to work and use the facilities to create right. their, their content. How, I... I, I I don't even know if I'm going to word this question right, but I'm thinking about if if I was a music producer and I wanted to expand in the TV and film, then to be able to take advantage of some of those type of opportunities. Because once you've like, especially once you've made it to a certain point in, in music, I think you've you've kind of done what you've done. And it's like, all right, that's great. And what's next? And so trying to solidify some long-term and looking at other opportunities, you know, you, you as a producer, you're not looking at the same, okay, like producing the same type of artist. No. If you did R&B, you don't want to do R&B no more. You no. want to switch up your sound. Maybe you want to work with a rapper or vice right. versa. You so. have to be versatile. Yeah, yeah. You have to go with what each film calls for. Luckily, I have, I have a, what's the word? <laughs> I have a, uh, what's, what, it's, I have a schizophrenic, background in music i'm i'm yeah i'm i'm a chameleon i'm lucky because i'm really really fortunate and blessed my dad was around everybody and loved all kinds of music exposed us to all kinds of music and between both my parents you know from gospel to jazz to blues to to classical Mm -hmm. and then from there is everything else i mean on the weekends, we watched Ed Sullivan and Hee Haw and Nat King Cole. And so I got everything. And I love everything, even metal. I've got a second lieutenant son in the Army. He's a great, he's into the shredding and the rock and guitar stuff. And he has no care. It's his own personal thing. But his tastes were like on that next level, you know, mm-hmm. Black Sabbath and all that stuff. And Apocalypse, or what was the name of that cartoon that would come on these guys? And they were... Um, wasn't apocalypse. It was uh, metal metal apocalypse. Whatever. It was a cartoon of these four guys. You know, they played metal. Anyway, <laughs> used to get on my nerves until I sat down and watched it with them, and it was pretty fun. But the point is to let them appreciate music on all levels and get into music. To be a composer for film, you have to tell the story along with the director, the cameraman, the the DP, along with the costume designer, the lighting designer, the dialogue. And even the blocking on the camera, you have to help tell a story with the music. So you have to be versatile. You can't just come from, you can come from one type of genre. Herbie Hancock's a great composer and musician. His jazz and his classical and his um, gospel-flavored background is awesome. And then there's guys who can write eclectic scores. And then there's the straight, impactual music, world-class drums and that whole thing that some people, are, they score from. And guys like Graham Ravel, who's um, Americana, Western, country and Western, rock-flavored, you know, you hear a lot of guitars and you hear a lot of um, um, phrasing, you know, from the guitar and the drums and impact, you know, on certain films. So your background, I mean, for me, I've studied all of those guys, but I really pay more attention to my thing. I got to intern with Curtis Mayfield on I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. And it was Curtis Mayfield style on the black exploitation um, gimmick on that film, you know, with Antonio Vargas and and um, the Wayans brothers with Keenan Ivory Wayans. 
um, directing and producing, and the storyline was about the making a fun a parody of black exploitation films. Right, right. So it was all about that music that he was famous for, Curtis Mayfield with Superfly and the the Shaft sound and all that stuff. So yeah, exactly. That guitar, and the, you knew what it was. Yeah. Hey man, what's up, you jive turkey? You know, you know. Right. So it was fun. it was fun to do that stuff. Karate man smiling inside. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> He so, just brought back a memory. So that was like, um, that was yeah, fun. Yeah, that face though when he said it. Was, exactly. Karate man, we don't inside. So exactly. Yeah. So, But when he said it, do you remember the music that kicked to, to make that point? You know? Right, right. That's part of what it is. And, um, and it's a real labor of work. It's a labor of love because it's no different, the art form to tell the story than... Anything else that goes into it, the dialogue, the setup of the story, the outcome, you know, all those, you know. And that's that's an interesting point. And see, I guess a lot of people don't really know what the job is. So yeah. different from like a mu- music supervisor who may just like yeah, pick find a song, find that, a fit, song right. that fits, a composer, right. you right. you actually go in and you're watching the video and you're yes. creating on the fly. Tell us a little um, about the experience. That experience is really more of the director and his communication because what we do is we put temp music according to what they want and always be prepared for the change it comes and you have to have no ego because it's not you they're using you which I'm comfortable with you know to be able to say okay Vince we that was you wrote that little score I did a film um, a short a six minute and 40 some second short for Conrad Byron Irwin Conrad Irwin Byron I think no By- Byron Conrad Irwin <laughs> Anyway, the name of the short was Last Words, and it was pretty grim and pretty, it was bending closer to horror, and it was about a a dying mother's last words. She couldn't die until she had the last words of forgiveness between her and her son that she had been estranged with for 20 years. So when he, he shows up so she can have her last words and die, you know, that's his whole thing. And he's a monster, and that's really what it is. So I gave you this sweet little mother and son melody thing, and he was like, mm, that's okay, Vince, but I need something more, I need something more horror genre type. So I was like, I'm like, you remember that Linus and Lucy? I want this. And he's like playing these different things, and then he finally does, dun, 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 dun. she goes, that's it. Well, that's how we kind of went back and forth. I went, then I finally just went into, dun, dun, dun. he said, that's it. So, you know, what did I know? I thought it was the sweet little old lady mother dying. And what I learned in that, the truth of it is, is that music is the setup. So I made three changes based on that type of sound. And I changed up some of the instrumentation according to the part of the scenes. And thank God I made it through that in three sessions. Took three sessions to do that. But That you know, seems extremely intense. To it be is able, intense. To be able to not only guess what the director wants, but then to be able to actually up- you know, pull it off. And the guessing is only but so far. The, and, you know, he let me guess, and the guessing wasn't working. So then he just sat there and told me, send me this. No, it's got to be harder. It's got to be meaner. It's got to be more scary. I want them to be afraid. I want them. So once we got that, I separated certain elements. Like, I had made up this, like, this boom or this cannon fodder sound out of an actual sample of a cannon going off. I mean, a heavy Civil War cannon going off and mixed it with a basketball bouncing on a wood floor with a slight bit of reverb in the Coliseum, L.A. Coliseum. And I mixed that with um, a low-frequency gunshot. 
and then we put some sub bass slightly in there. We mixed those together and tone mixed them and did the whole thing. And we came up with this great sound of his footsteps when he was coming to the house and his footsteps when he was leaving the house and when the mother's impact of her words. So it only had to show up. I left, I took those elements out and I gave them all separately to the sound editor and I let them do their thing. That's another good trick. But no, guessing doesn't come in. They, you can guess, but so far, and spec music so far, they want you to do it the way they're telling you. And some of these guys have a sense of music, but when you're dealing with a director that doesn't have a sense of music, not, it wasn't in this case, because um, Byron is awesome, um, to, to be able to tell you. So like I said, it took three times, but that's really what it is, man. And then you have guys, if I get to the point where I make a name for myself, then they just give it to me and say, do what you want. You know, and right. I haven't gotten there yet. So. so, okay, so you mentioned then going in and doing the basketball and the can. Would that still be considered composing or is that more sound design? That's more sound design, and I have a background in it, so okay. I'm, I'm good. You know, my dad had a TV shop, and I used to build synthesizers, and I used to make sounds. And I used to do everything that when it, I, I knew when my day was done, when I'd get on his nerves and and like, all right, you, I, I don't heard that sound. Uh, I heard, I, don't, <laughs> I, I heard the seven forty seven crash like sixteen times too many. Okay, that's enough. And I was like, okay, okay, pop. He said, you got a couple of TVs. You need to take the backs off of those and check those tubes. Do some real work. right? Do some real work. <laughs> right. you, know, you got you got a couple of cars showing up that need some stereos put in. Go ahead. You got an antenna job. You need to go and do. Yes, sir. Pain, I got you. Slice. DJ Pain One. I just wanna feel the sunshine. Get into the sunrise. For better or worse, I'm feeling the first. I'm hoping that you know. Containers ready to match in my pain They feel quickly, then it hit me The thought that it wasn't in vain Thoughts that once filled with shame My head down, I looked around Clouds couldn't protect from the rain Open-minded, so those very thoughts Drowned my brain, such irony brought hell Down it came like morning dew Day and new rose, the sky like flames The way me and my closest friends Flight should've crashed, but I Chose a higher plane, for love For fame, to make the greatest saint Go insane for the thought that my day's almost over, drove through my mind like Range Rovers, young minds blown away from leaves without clothes. Controversial when both spouses try to wear the pants. The cook gotta respect the nigga to clean the pants. Kitchen's closed when the chef get jealous of the tips of the server. No appreciation, hard work of the earners. Green lights, silver come pink slips. Everybody know it all, nobody learns shit. I married you, but you married social media Felt the connection on the same day that I greeted you Together you and I, it's what we agreed to Tally marks are our accomplishments, so undefeated, poof No, I ain't trying to be emotional New era, but not how relationships supposed to go I just wanna feel the Ladies and gentlemen, that's The Sorrow by Slice, right here on the 9010 Rule. I think what's weird to people is that trying to describe these sounds in the way that they're put together to illustrate this moment or to bring this emotion out of the moment, because... 
Most guys just know drop the bomb. Right. Give me the explosion like DJ Clue, like like Charlemagne always do. You know what right. I'm saying? Like right. that's that's all they know. Or or what maybe what Jaws the dun dun dun. See, that's you know, that's that a good example. Thing. Great example. See the guy who wrote that, John Williams. That's from an old classical piece, and I can't pull the name out of my head right now. That whole the danger, impending danger, mm-hmm. and it grows. It's um we call that a Bella Bartok type of arrangement where you build on this little small sound and it grows. And it's the same thing. Timing sound. changes. And the timing changes, but it's the same theme. Right. And so he comes in, you know. Mm. And that's what that technique is called. Bella, you said Bella, Bella Bartok? Bartok. I've never heard that before. That's a yeah. person, right? It's a yes. Yeah. He's a composer. Two composers, two classic composers that I really feel very influenced by. That you know, way back, way beyond, you know, Bella Bartok and um, Franz Liszt. Um, mm-hmm. It's just some of the best emotional music. The use of strings and percussion, and the use of timing and syncopation, is just—it's incredible. It takes your soul to another level. Um, and now, given the state of hip hop, you know, hip hop music. Um, guys like, okay, I'm gonna go back to Public Enemy, Hank Shockley, and he was happened happen to be somebody I. They first got a hold of these samplers and they were doing such dramatic things with other people's already established music that it was like, when you finally heard it, it was like, if you weren't aware of that music already in its existing form, you wouldn't know it was just so awesome. But it set such a different stage for the delivery of rap and Chuck D and his vocal delivery on top of that. To me, that's all cinematic. That's cinematic stuff. You're hearing it, but it's cinematic when they did Fight the Power, I could feel the yeah. Fight the Power. I could feel it. And Black Steel in the Hour of Crisis, forget it. Right. I wrote a letter for the government the other day. And that that piano in the back of that sample is just, you're, you feel like you're in a scene. So mm-hmm. when they come up with the music videos and they're doing it, it's like if they're not paying to that whole, and luckily the director of that music video for Black Steel, A.J. White, freaking genius. You know, you just take, you're taking that music for what it's worth. You write the treatment and then you go into this little mini movie and that's what it's about. You know, I, I try real hard to pay attention to the theme of what a film's trying to say, its premise. And then I shut that down. I keep it in my back pocket, in my mind, you know, and I listen to what the director has to say and I'm prepared to change it nine times. That's be ready. Have no (laughs) ego. Yeah. It's not, it's not. You know, I want to digress for just a second because you said something that sparked something in my mind. Sure. So like the, with the Hank Shockley and the um, the, mm-hmm. the way that the production was done where they used the samples of things that were really already really good things. Right, like Kanye's done today, yeah. But he's one of the few. Most people, what they do is they do a four-bar loop these days. Right, And then right. They, they want to put some kind of emotion. You're like, there's no emotion in that track. Well, you know what? There's that's, nothing happening. That's the difference between a beat maker and a producer. Yeah, but I'm saying, what I'm saying no, is that's, like... No, for real, that's the difference. No, that's that, is, like, that is, but but what I'm saying is that if you start there, I don't care what kind of producer you are, if you're doing a four-bar loop of some... Sterile type sounds mm-hmm. You're never gonna get No Black steel No, no you're matter, not No matter what You're not I don't care how good of a, of a, a you're not Keyboard because player you are That's right, right. You're not well, it's and, a lot of It's a lot of singers or, or artists That you're not gonna work with either Because it just requires it, it, You have to be more advanced Than uh, 
than just a, a four bar loop. Right. Man. Like, like That's the song right. has a certain amount of progression. It's supposed to go high and low in right. a certain way. And and even in working with the artist, you you're tailoring a sound to that artist rather than the artist tailoring to you. Right. Well, it's a two way street the way I work. Like I'm working for I'm I'm putting together a project now that we're hoping to take to Sony. Uh, she's 16. She's going to be 17 this September coming. And um, she's she's adorable. And she's so super talented. And uh, her name is Sydney Bailey. And she is, I mean, requiring a, a customized thing for her and only for her. So when you're working that way, I mean, she's so talented. And her voice is a new different type of R&B <laughs> pop type of voice. It's kind of like a Mary J and Adele crossed it's weird but um she can pull it off so you've got to write fresh new stuff for her that's you know thank thankfully i'm into this i don't have an ego thing so i gotta really i've got to know her and hang out with her and her mom so i've got to figure out which slot she fits in and thank god i've had my daughters already that i could you know figure out what i'm doing you know so so i'm at an advantage but it's still down to customizing music for that particular artist and them also having enough professionalism to deliver what you're asking for. Um, we got her to Justin Levy, who's a vocal coach in McDonough, and um, he's worked with Justin Timberlake and other people. He's from the Robert Rab Stevenson uh, group of uh, vocal. You know, Robert worked with, uh, with Pharrell for the Girl album. And um, the point is to get her and her vocal chops up to the level where I would call a guy like him in to produce the vocal session. I do the music and everything's together. We're working together on the song because we want to deliver a record, much like a movie. So when you're talking about it's both, it's a two-way street. The artist has to know how to work, and we got to get somebody that can pull out of the artist the delivery mm -hmm. of the vocal for that particular record, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's a big issue. That's a huge issue. Another key huge thing issue. that's missing in today's music is there's no, there's there's not even a gatekeeper on the the, the vocal production. It's just... Hey, man, me and my partner going to do it. No. I mean, yeah. and when I say no, I mean, I'm confident enough to think I could do it, but I know that I don't have the professional expert, the professional experience mm -hmm. like somebody that Robert Rabb or, um, or Justin Levy brings to the table. So, I mean, my whole thing is I'd love to work with all these professionals who are boutique, you know, uh, genre. And I mean, um, they're in their lane, so to speak, and they know what they're doing. And I can not worry about that part of, of the game. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it, it, we all work together, you know? I'd like to put everybody together and work on this massive epic film project or, or series and carry this, this same type of flavor of work ethic all the way through, and it would be something spectacular. I'm sure of it, man. I'm sure of it. Wow. Yeah. Well, you kind of you already segued us to it, so talk to us a little bit about what, you, what you're working on with film. Okay. I've got a... Um, Indie film, I have a script that I co-wrote with Shay Bennett, um, and Shay is awesome. Shay is something else. Um, she's been straightening me out, and luckily, people like her, real film, real, I say real, people that have real heavy standard, industry standard work ethic, they know the whole nine yards and know you need to do this. Eric Canada is another one. He is, forget it. Um, I have this short film, it's called Maps. Um, and it's about the four lost souls, you know, who for want of sharing, for want of for themselves, which is selfish, or sharing, which is 
the universal way of life, you know, do unto others and thy neighbor and that whole nine yards. They're faced with the evil and the good within themselves when choosing for themselves or choosing to share with others. And so you have four individuals, they all have desires in life, and they have to figure out how to deliver those desires to themselves and at the same time help other people, you know, like um, you got a studio here and, you know, you're doing certain things with certain people and you like, if you only cared about yourself, then eventually nobody would be coming here. Right. You know, so you have to be. Right. right. And that's the same way with anything, with everyone else. So um, that's basically it. And I wrote it in such a way where it can easily be a series or it can be a feature. It has to be expanded script-wise. But as it is now, we have the the basic first pilot episode. And um, I have that. And we have one in development we're hoping to shoot. It's going to be a real gritty, indie, youth-oriented, music-driven film called <laughs> Hippie Hotel. And it's about the rave scene in Atlanta and two or three individuals who uh, leave their homes and want to come here, you know, youngsters and with dreams in their in their head, you know. They're not going to California. They want to go to Atlanta, you know. And um, they ha hang out in the rave scene and, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and being young, you know. <laughs> you know, it's funny because it seems like the easy the easy way to go now to make that a documentary. Everybody wants to do documentaries yeah. now, but yeah. to actually make that a feature film, yeah. that just that sounds exciting to me. Thank you. It is. I think it's very exciting. And um, speaking of which, um, you know, um, I'm like I said, I'm 57, and my whole draw working with these younger these millennials, they have a really strong work ethic. None of them are lazy. What? No, no, no. I don't see that. See, I, I get to hear... No, no, I'm, I'm saying it to, to mess with you. I, I, yeah, <laughs> they are crazy. And um, all-night sessions and all that writing <laughs> sessions and all day long. And what I get into now, I'm seeing, okay, it's like the artists on... Um, in, in the artist that Tracy manages, um, Key Boy, on this particular song. This is a remake of the Yes song, um, Owner of the Lonely Heart. And um, they turn it into a song called The Lonely Stoner. I have the version. I want to play it for you. And um, it's like he's Midwest. It's, um, I don't like to pigeonhole him, but it's, it's hip hop. And when you hear it, you'll hear that it's a new bend. It's the, uh, I think it's the newest delivery of, of the uh, genre of hip hop. And, but it's the Yes song. So here it is with, Yes, and they agreed they wanted to be in the video if we do it. And That's cool. So we're, we're trying to work that out now. But she has Keyboy, and I have directed a music video for Slice. Um, he's Rick James' godson. His dad was James Hawkins of Process and the Do-Rags, and he was, in he was in Rick James' band. And this kid Slice is his name, S-L-Y-C-E. So you might want to check him out. He's got a song out called The Sorrow, and I directed the music video uh, with uh, Romello um, doing the uh, DP, um, director of photography. And um, she has Wires. That's another artist. And um, Trends. I have a session with Trends tomorrow. He is a producer, beat maker. And um, like with all my beat makers, and I heard what you said about beat makers. You know, I went through a thing for a minute. I was very um, uh, discriminatory. That's the word. Discriminatory. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Our straight hating beat makers. <laughs> straight hating them. Why are you hating beat makers? Because they push buttons. Yeah. Yeah. They're not playing an instrument. But then when you look at the computer, it is an instrument. 
And I had to be straightened out by my big brother, <laughs> Yoel ben, ben Yehuda. You know, uh, he is an awesome composer in, in his own right, too. He, um, another keyboard player. I love my keyboard player brothers. We have, I, I have this thing in my mind where I'm like the chairman of the piano brotherhood. And it's just my own personal fantasy. But <laughs> piano, piano players, we kind of all hang out and share things. But um, Yoel's like, Vince, no, they're, they're musicians, too. You know, he's a professor at um, in, um, Metropolitan, um, Metropolitan, um, what is it, the uh, college? Okay. Yeah, yeah. He teaches music technology. Yeah. Well, I understand where you're coming from with that, though. Like, uh, and, and I really saw this firsthand uh, when I was running the factory, but there are some producers that stay up all night and make a thousand beats, and then there's <laughs> other... I mean, I, I mean, but that. literally, you know, I know, I know that they're, they're they're cranking out. Records. And they'll tell you, I got a thousand beats. Yeah, they're cranking thousand. out beats so fast they can't even name them. No, and they it, all it, sound it just alike, gets a, man. They don't. They it all just sound, gets a barcode. You know like what I mean? Said, it's like you said earlier, man. You said it's a loop. It's a four bar loop, and that's and I'm listening. Okay, if he uses that church bell one more time, I'm not gonna make it through life today. You know. So, no, some of that... Uh, but yeah. I also saw producers that would approach the studio like a regular job. I mean, show up to the studio at 8 a.m., take a lunch break, and they're really, like, working on the same record mm-hmm. every... Like, you hear them repeating the same record, tweaking it, fixing this, da-da-da, but they're working on the same record. Right. That's a totally different quality. Yeah, it is. Totally different quality record, so... Yeah, it you, is. you know it's funny though, man. Reality check for a second. Had we not had button pushers <laughs> as producers, hip hop would have never no. been here. Because DJs basically said, you know what, we don't need a damn band. Right. We're gonna take we're gonna take the production of a, another band that's already you know had a hit, good times being a great one. There you go. And now we're gonna play this another way, or just you know taking the break beat from somebody, break and, beats, and making that an entire. Soundscape for the for the rap. Yep. Without those button pushers who were able to make that an art, that's right. Hip hop would not be here. So, I think I don't know that those are parallel the way they do it now compared to break beats and making that the song. But there is. there has to be something there. It is. Well, I think there was a learning curve too. Like when, uh, yeah, people are pushing buttons, and some people. St- Beats sound like that's all they were doing was pushing buttons. Like, like two little kids found the buttons they liked the favorite. And, yeah, you know. like you know that that period in music where the bottom kind of fell out of rap and yep. everybody was like, "What? This is what they putting on the radio now?" Right, like that period. So I, I get it, but I think that nowadays there are people who have like producers that have a better relationship with tools like Fruity Loops and you know other things they can use where they can just push just buttons on. You just mentioned it. And but they can kill it now. Like they're yeah. they've got a better relationship. So they make some decent beats and you really wouldn't know that all they've got I, is I a do. computer. But, I know. Well, I most know. people. I'm I'm talking to yeah. someone who's uh, yeah, working with orchestras. You know, it's, yeah, it's, he it's, hears the difference. It's very day class, say to say. <laughs> right. Fruit Loops. Now you have to say FL Studio. <laughs> he, he, he went yeah, producer style. To say Fruit Loops. <laughs> These kids. I asked. So I asked the kid last night at the AC3 thing. It was is it A3C? A3C. All three okay. coats. Yeah. All three coats. Okay, check this out. This kid's standing outside. He can't get in. And I could tell. He looks like he looks like me hanging out at an Earth, Wind, and Fire concert trying to get backstage right. to meet Larry Dunn. Your keyboard god is like, you know. And he's like, so I stop, and I, I can see it. And I, so I said, what do you do? What, you, what do you make beats on? 
oh, oh man, what, what do you do? I said, okay, I'm a producer. Calm down. It's okay. Who are you producing? You, maybe. Maybe you. I don't know. <laughs> Tell me what you're using. I use FL. I said, okay, okay. You got your own custom sounds in there? No. Okay, that's okay. You got a keyboard controller? Yeah, it's a 47 key. Okay, okay, good, good. Uh, but I need some lessons. I said, okay, you need some key. You need to play the piano more so you can learn about the instruments. And mm -hmm. when you play those samples, you can make cellos sound like cellos and Trumpets sound like trumpets and drums. Or, right. Uh, chord progression, maybe once or well, twice I in didn't, a song. I didn't go there until last because <laughs> I didn't, did not want to discourage this kid. Right. I didn't want to say, you need to learn the E flat minor ninth, 11th, because that's the transition. You're not going to. went straight musician snob. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're so bougie. <laughs> no, I know. I'm sorry. I just did it. And I didn't know. I did not do that to this kid because I'm right. used to dealing with the youth and I'm like, and when I say that, I'm like, we used to open the studio and let them come in and do what they want, as long as they didn't tear up anything. And you'd be surprised. It's like throwing spaghetti against the wall. Some of it sticks and some of it doesn't, you know? Um, and this kid's mind just, I said, okay, all right, you're 14. And his brother comes up, that's your brother? Okay. Yeah, he raps, okay. And you make the beats. Okay, good. Y'all live with mom. That's great. Okay, now, here's the next thing you want to do. You got your left hand, you got your right hand, you want to learn to get your bass, left hand, just play with your left hand and get your bass going mm -hmm. on, you know, learn how to get the bass sounds, pull up your favorite bass sounds, your sub sounds, and just work your left hand, do the scales. Right hand, same thing, you can go on YouTube. If you want, you can do some Skype lessons with me, 10 bucks an hour, 10 bucks for a 45 minute session. You got a PayPal, okay, you give me 10 bucks on my PayPal, I'm going to give this kid a $75 lesson for $10. And I love doing that, and I'm not getting rich off this. Come on. But that kid is going to go from there now to the next level somewhere, somehow. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And his stuff's not going to sound so fruity loopish. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And believe me, I have heard three million fruity loop tracks. I did a seminar at Microsoft in Lenox Square for beat makers on PC. Oh, my goodness. And I picked the cream of the crop of the fruity loop um, beat makers, and I had this one guy, and I don't have his name in front of me right now. It's been a while since I've seen him. This kid is a genius. None of his stuff sounds the same. It's all you would, and I had to ask him. I said, "You did that in Fruit Loops?" But he learned how to put his own custom sounds in. He learned how to play the piano a little better, get chord progressions going. Started playing in his church, and all of that background started coming out. And that's where it counts. So. You got to step away from the computer and play an instrument for real. Even if it is drums, you got to learn how the sound of a foot and the snare, the kick in the snare and the hi hat and different cymbal sound and different percussion pieces sound. You have to get a music education so you can understand it. And it starts in the schools. It starts in the schools and at home. I was mm -hmm. lucky to have it all. But you know what? I think we were talking about that too because in. in in, for instance, in sports, mm -hmm. there are different organizations that help to groom you along your path. Like right. there's Pop Warner, there's AAU, a AAU YBOA, right. there's right. even the Police Athletic League. There's right. all these different types of organizations to help you grow and develop and hone your skills and connect you with people that can take you to the next level. Right. Where with, with music and entertainment, there's not so much of that. It's not, especially for, you know, urban music, like there's little to none at all. So, nope. But there's, there's no important place, importance placed on it. Look at all the Atlanta major schools, there's funding cut. 
That's right. why I was doing the Dallas Austin Foundation thing because wow. I, we, we were, I was an instructor for the Dallas Austin Foundation. Wow. So we were having to actually go into these schools that just got through cutting funding for mm. music programs and we're bringing them a free, free to them, right. a free you know, music technology, music recording, music business because it wasn't there. There was no music there. They were and, trying to pull away firing teachers. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you don't know who the next Dallas Austin could be out of that group that you exactly. influenced. That's, what I'm, that's why I'm doing it. Not to mention the record labels aren't developing anybody either. Yeah, so well, the record companies aren't interested in that at all. You know? Right. Well, I think that's why that's why the management companies and um, and the production companies play such a large role in in music right now because they're the ones that are finding that raw and cut talent and developing it to be able to take it somewhere. Absolutely, and that's what Ten Thousand Hours is doing. Tracy Morris. She is a powerhouse. I really have to talk about her and, um, you know, let anyone that's interested in listening. This woman is dedicated to finding young talent, developing them, giving them the opportunity to take themselves to that next level, you know, um, and joining the film and the music world together in such a way where, you know, the platform is wide open, but also preparing the artists to, to uh, compete in that arena. And um, at the time, couldn't be more ripe because as we grow more and more into a respectable, world-class film and music community, we've already got the music down. Mm-hmm. L.A. and Face came here and they did the Face Records. I mean, that showed the entire world. You know, okay. Right. They, everybody beat a path to Atlanta. Didn't you know the influx of people that moved here hoping to make it? In the music business They're still coming They're still coming It never stopped So now Look at the film thing though See the way the film thing Is taking off Mm -hmm. Well um, we're aligning ourselves At this point now With people Like um, I don't want to talk about Right now Because things are gelling You know And um, we're we're not sure Just yet How the outcome Is going to be We we know what the outcome Is going to be But we don't know Who's going to be Doing what with whom Um, And it's about Being ready and having a person that just specializes in this one thing to come in and work on, you know, putting music or sound design or something to, to go with a feature film or a, t- a television show or a cable series or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and the actors and the technicians and the people that are working everywhere else, Hollywood and Canada and Louisiana and whatnot, they're gravitating here and ending up staying here and working and working from one film to the next you know, that's something that that's something that you know this timing couldn't be you know couldn't be better. I'm I'm a little I'm at a little loss for words because I'm kind of crossed up between the the real bottom line is it's a pro situation. We're not quite ready yet, state of the art wise. We're ready personnel wise, talent wise, because they're coming from all over and they know what they know what it takes. But we don't you know until we have a scoring stage, until we have a collective bargaining agreement with the union where we have a comfortable situation with these films, whether they be big budget or small budget or whatever. You know, like SAG-AFTRA has a low-budget SAG-AFTRA agreement where you can get a real SAG-AFTRA um, artist or um, actor to be in your film, but if it's under a certain number of uh, dollars budget-wise, like a million or two million or whatever, then you only have to pay them a certain amount scale. We don't have that in place for the union. You know, you get a big budget film in, yeah, okay, the budget's going to be there. It's like 6% of the budget's going to go to sound and music. So if it's a blockbusting, you know, if it's like Avatar or something, it's $200 and $300 million. 
you can imagine. And the, the departments are so deep, you know, mm -hmm. with how many people you have, scoring people, recording people, editing people, you know, then you mentioned the musicians, a whole nother story. So I said all I have to say, Tracy's got a handle on this and the artists we have with us are gearing towards delivering songs to supervisors of music for films, as well as uh, right now I'm the only composer on the roster, and I'm really, really, truly biting at the bit to work with these young kids to help them, you know, get, bring a higher quality of production to their music records, but also, too, to marry that with film in such a way where, you know, it can be some classic soundtracks coming out. That's what we really truly hoping mm -hmm. yep awesome so um thank you let, let us know how we can get in touch with you if we want to maybe we have some ideas or anything like that you can google v man. l e e v <laughs> man you can google v l e e v put in your youtube put it in your put it in the facebook search engine go like my page and ime institute of media engineers it's my nonprofit charity for women and minorities in digital media and what, what we do there is we bridge the gap in education, in uh, consultation, and interface with them. People who couldn't afford to get a script written or don't know how or couldn't afford to get their first film done, uh, we consult with them. And, you know, we just try to help women and minorities get themselves together to be able to compete, you know, as far as independents go. And... um just get in touch with me there and um, look out for us. 10,000 hours um, management. 10,000 hours music. Um, let me get that straight. I got to get that. It's uh, 10,000 hours music.com. Okay. Spelled out T E N T H O U S A N D H O U R S M U S I C.com. 10,000 hours music. And uh, check us out. And. Um, Looking forward to seeing or hearing from any and of all of you. And I play sessions. I consult, you know. Um, that's about it. And we have writing teams. My daughters, Yavina and Sarah, are my co-writers. And, um, and I'm happy to work with them, you know. <laughs> Good deal. I think I've said it all. Yeah. Well, that's great. Yo, Vince, thank you for coming through, man. Matter of fact, I think we're going to... Uh, let's, let's end the show with... Well, and if you're an independent filmmaker, hit me up, man. I'll I'll work with you. I don't care. I just want to bring some quality to your project. That's all. That's it. That's awesome. Thank you. All right. Yeah, so let's run it. That's another episode of the 9010 Rule with Vince Bryant. Thank you. V. Lee V. Visit us at the 9010rule.com. That's 9010rule.com.